A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I've got some exciting news to share with you all at Retrition Plus, which, as many of you may know, is my evidence-based supplements company. We've relaunched and there are four incredible products on offer. The Daily Vegan Multi Still, a Pregnancy Multivitamin and an Adult's Vitamin D Daily Spray. But here's another new one, the Kids Daily Vitamin D Drops. At Retrition Plus, of course, the approach I've always had is that it's rooted in science. It's not in fleeting trends. We will only ever partner in the fact that we want to achieve a healthier, more balanced you. We're equally passionate about the well-being of our planet. So for me, Retrition Plus is transparent. We are sustainable and responsible. You know, our approach to well-being is at the core of everything that we do. Our supplements are designed so you can live and breathe a healthy diet and balanced lifestyle. I developed this idea in lockdown i've had my children and that's where the passion i suppose really comes if you guys want to go and check out the range at retrition plus and our new products which i know are going to help so many people just head over to retritionplus.com and you can also check us out on social media at retrition plus hello welcome back to season 16 of Food for Thought. I can't actually believe it. I can't even believe we're on season 16. And I'm back in the studio here in London. It's fantastic. We've got the most incredible lineup of guests that are going to be bringing you the most fascinating conversations with nutrition, health and wellness fields. We've definitely gone above and beyond, guys, this time. I want to make sure that we have all the best information out there to equip you with the latest scientific evidence and research so you can, of course, live and breathe a healthy lifestyle supporting you to make informed decisions because after all you're the ones that make the decisions with your life a little bit about me for those of you that don't know i am rhiannon lambert a registered nutritionist sunday times best-selling author of the science of nutrition many other books there too the founder of harley street clinic retrition and the evidence-based supplements company retrition plus over the next few weeks, my guests and I aim to use science-based research. So we're going to sort fact from fiction. There is an overwhelming amount of confusing health information out there. So join us to dispel everything that remains misunderstood within the world of wellness. And as always, thank you so much. Gosh, we couldn't do it without you wonderful listeners. Honestly, the messages I receive, the support, the love, it's incredible. And I can't wait to hear what you think of the new season. So let's go.
Becoming a mother can bring so much anxiety, the feeling of, gosh, overwhelm. I think also loneliness is something that is important to discuss and something that I know I've definitely felt. There are days when you want to cry, days you want to shout and you wish you could abandon everything. But honestly, you, you don't really want to deep down either. It's a bizarre feeling, but I obviously wouldn't change it for the world. And this week's guest is someone that I have shared an incredible journey with. Dr. Zoe Williams, she's not only my friend, but she's a GP, an author, fellow podcaster. You probably all have seen her on This Morning. She's their resident doctor. She used to be in Gladiator. She is absolutely a powerhouse of a woman. And it was actually one of the first episodes that we ever did together on Food for Thought many series ago on fertility that inspired me to, well, inspired me, made me go ahead on my motherhood journey. So let me cut to the chase. We have a fantastic episode for you. We discuss endometriosis, women's healthcare. We discuss the latest stats, the latest that we have on the fact that women are not small men. We deserve our own health system that can support us in that way. We cover postpartum health, just as much as everything across board from growing up and puberty. Please sit down, take notes and enjoy. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Rhiannon. How are you? Oh, my goodness. Um, do you know that question? I should actually think about that question more because how are you? Yeah. Is one of those, I know you've spoken about it before, but one of those questions where you just go, yeah, great, thank you. How, yeah. are, how are you? <laughs> and you know, with now I've got the little one. Yeah. You almost teach them that. I'm realising how you teach, It's t- you're taught so young so you know I'm teaching him to be polite to people say hello and ask how are you and then when somebody says how are you you say I'm good thank you and then I thought but if you're not good you don't have to say that you can say if you're sad you can say you're sad but hopefully usually you're good and you're taught from as soon as you can speak you're taught to say you're good I know, I know. It's a very in-depth, loaded start, which actually I do do on every episode. But I guess it brings me back to why we're here today anyway, because you've come on the podcast before. And actually, your episode, which I've mentioned in loads of <laughs> published stuff I've done now, but Zoe for everybody was the person that told me, just go for it and have a baby, basically. So I was eight weeks pregnant at my wedding, but relieved I did because we did a fertility episode Yeah, last time. And today we're talking, I guess, about a bit more about your childhood, which I think will be interesting if you don't yeah. mind going there. No, um, obviously, you grow girl, your book, your new published book, yeah. which is so exciting, which does talk about how we should address things that were unspoken of before. Yeah. And as you've got Lisbon now and you're a mom and the world must be a different place to you right now. Oh, gosh, definitely. I think becoming a parent is, for me, is the biggest shift in my, li- my life that there's ever been. You know, it's a bigger shift than I moved abroad at one point. It's a bigger shift than going to university. It is the biggest shift ever. And and it's changed me. I'm yeah. a different person. And I think I've sort of been on this journey of, um, there's been a bit of a bereavement of the old me that's that's gone. Mm. And I know one of the things you were going to ask me about is the whole sort of bouncing back oh, after you have a yeah, baby. Yeah. And let's just put it straight, bouncing yeah. back is oh, bullshit. Because... It. I think when people use that term, they're talking about the physical body. They're talking about weight loss, right? Yeah, they're talking I, I about you looking the way you did yeah, before you had a baby. Yeah, which doesn't dictate how physically healthy you are, even if you do look a certain way or not. Absolutely not. Um, but what it doesn't, refer, you know, even more importantly, emotionally, socially, um, your relationships, like everything 
changes and I think I think I wasn't really prepared for that I thought I was prepared and ready to have a baby I'd wanted to have a baby for a long long time but actually in hindsight I think it was a bit of a shock to the system it's also it definitely is first of all absolutely but I think from the line of work which is why I've always found you obviously as a friend so fascinating anyway but I think what you've done in your lifetime put certain emphases on certain areas a you're a doctor so health is obviously an area. Mm-hmm. Um, you were in gladiators. Physical fitness is a big part, of, or was a, such a big part of your life, still is. But it can't be the same once you have had a child, right? None of it's none of it's the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially exactly. the physical fitness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's um, that's yeah. That's definitely not the same as it was. Um, but but yeah, you, you, I think you view everything through it through a different lens. I think you feel more vulnerable as well. Mm. Just mm. generally in life, I think throughout my life, I've always been very, very independent. Um, I guess I've been very resilient because there have been times in my life that haven't been easy, but it's been fine. Then all of a sudden, I've always, you know, but I've always felt like it's fine. I'll be okay. No matter what happens to me, I'll be okay. Then all of a sudden there's this little person. I'm like, if something happens to him, I'm not going to be okay. And it's this new vulnerability generally in life that, yeah. I don't know if there's something about being older when you have your first child as well whether yeah. um i see this you really i see these Everything young women say, with three ev- or four kids I and know. i'm like how are they doing it um but that adapt i think the the big adaption um possibly is more difficult if you're older and you know your life is more established and mm. you've got ingrained habits and you've had this freedom yeah. financial freedom flexibility socially and then all all of a sudden everything's dictated by this little person no I think it's totally fair to say that and I think it's really important because you know people need to hear these conversations you know we're not saying it's the same for everybody but it's really important to highlight that it is a different transition and I guess writing a book where on earth did you get the idea then (laughs) to do a book for teenagers essentially or young girls growing up into that puberty type zone was it inspired after having Lisbon is it something you've always wanted to do neither of those really um I think probably all of the various different things that I do it's probably the same with you in some way they're inspired by my own life so you know the reason I'm such a huge advocate of physical activity is because for me being active throughout my life is the thing that has given me confidence it's made me um competitive and therefore been able to achieve academic success and some of my best friends have come from sports so mentally resilient I I think it must be definitely definitely and I think um you know one of the reasons I'm so passionate about advocating that is I want everybody else to have those benefits that I've had so the so when it came to writing the book um I think my life experience I've had if I could go back and live my life again and it'd be better if I had my book as a guide as a handbook I genuinely think I would have lived a better life. Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> there was nothing. I think, yeah, it's it's the book I wish I'd had when I was growing up, yeah. but it's written for girls who are growing up in today's world because they have a lot of challenges that we didn't have, social media. And one of the other big challenges for parents, in a way, is they have access to information. So, you know, if we wanted to know something about sex, we would wait for that Cosmopolitan magazine yeah. to come out every two weeks for yeah. Position of the Fortnight. 
but young people it's today. Before, no, remember. <laughs> do you remember? Yeah, do you remember? Be, even bef- years before you were interested in having sex, that, that was the most exciting thing that would happen. You'd like scroll the pages. What's the position yeah. of Fortnite? Whoa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, nowadays kids can access information online, yeah. anything that they want. And a lot of those resources may not be credible, reputable. Mm-hmm. As we know in our oh, line gosh, of work, young yeah. people, often the first place they go for advice about mental it's health is TikTok. Media, yeah. 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 And you also touched on, um, selfishly for me, actually hearing what you just said gave me a bit of reassurance because we are, and I'm finding it quite difficult navigating my own journey as a parent, that we are bombarded with so much information that yeah. you end up second guessing yourself every day. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Obviously, then people tell you there is no right or wrong, but there's an abundance. <laughs> it's of right. In- it's wrong. There is oh. no right or wrong. Well, then I'm even more confused. Who? Somebody can tell me what's right. <laughs> exactly. Who actually knows? Um, which leads me on, I guess, to talk about, let's talk about women's health as well. Because mm. in general, you know, we're talking about inspiring the future generations to understand their body. We need to talk about the fact that one in 10 women are affected by endometriosis. Yeah. You know, it's that that's the same statistic as asthma. So why yeah. on earth has it taken so long, first of all, for us to have these discussions, to have our eyes opened? And what can we do? Well, I think we're in, we're in a moment where women's health is starting to get the recognition it, it deserves because mm. for so long, conditions that only affect women have been ignored, pretty much ignored by the healthcare system. I always say that not just the NHS, but all healthcare systems were built by white men for yeah, yeah, yeah. white men. Um, so, you know, the the number of women who've just been told it's just part of being a woman. Well, when they I actually assumed have it was a condition like endometriosis. Yeah, you didn't realise that you didn't have the information because you were just conditioned not to ask yeah, for it. Yeah. So so it's changing, you know, there's a shift and we definitely see that with the way that menopause is being discussed. Um, but also with many other conditions that affect women. But I was shocked to discover that endometriosis is as common in women as asthma is. So one in 10 women have it. That shocked me. I discovered that when I was doing some research for, for my podcast. Um, and I I was about, you know, to speak to somebody who had endometriosis and I couldn't believe it. You know, mm. and I'm happy to say I didn't know that. Yeah. One in 10. And, and you're a I... GP and you think GPs should know because... But it hasn't been highlighted as priority. No, and if I think about how many patients I see about their asthma compared to how many women I see about their endometriosis, there's definitely um, a disbalance there. So, so yes, endometriosis is this really common condition that can be very, very disabling, can have a whole host of um, symptoms, can make life miserable and can affect fertility as well. And it takes on average over seven years for it to be diagnosed. One of the reasons is that to get a definitive diagnosis, not always, but often you actually have to have an operation yeah. um, where they have to, you know, put the little cameras inside mm. and have a look to diagnose it. So, you know, it's, it's not something that can be diagnosed very simply. What are those key signs that people look out for that they need to know? Well, the, the, the commonest symptoms mm-hmm. are painful periods. Yeah. That's the commonest symptom and that's, you know, that's when a lot of women who have endometriosis will go all the way back to being a teenager and say, look, I always had these very, very painful periods. Um, But what what endometriosis is, the lining of the womb is called the endometrium Mm -hmm. and the cells of the endometrium are called called, um, endometrial cells. So when you get cells that are 
very similar to those cells in other parts of the body other than the lining of the womb, um, that's endometriosis. So the issue of having those cells outside of the womb is in the womb, obviously, those cells respond to hormones, mm. um, the lining of the womb gets thicker and then you bleed and mm. the blood leaves the body. But if those cells are um, sort of in outside of the womb and, you know, the commonest places are in the pelvis, but we also hear about yeah. endometriosis of the lung. I've never seen a case, but, you know, we hear wow. about it. Um, that blood can't escape in the same way. So it causes inflammation, pain and mm. can cause scarring as well. So, you know, people who've been living with a condition for years may have a lot of scarring. So even if the endometriosis goes away, which it yeah. tends to go away after menopause, that scarring in itself can then cause lots of symptoms. So it can be a very, very disabling condition once a month, but for many people it's throughout the month they yeah. have pain and other symptoms, affects your bladder function, bowel function, you know, you name it. And there's so many people I know now who are telling me, oh, I have endometriosis, mm. but had never told me before. Again, it's one of those, even if people have a diagnosis, you know, women's health still has so much stigma attached to it. Well, it's taboo to even mention you're on your period. Or, yeah, so yeah. for me at school, we used to have nicknames for period because we didn't want anyone to know we were on our period. Yeah, It's crazy. It was like yeah. a hidden thing. Yeah. It was interesting. I was at an event in the at the end of the summer and it was, um, it was a Women's Golf Open. Um, and we did a panel event about Was that the one you health. were hosting? I saw you were hosting. Yes. Oh, amazing. Yes. I saw that. I was like, go Zoe. So it was obviously, it was it was women's golf, but it yeah. was still predominantly men that were amazing. there on the day. Yeah, yeah. So we did this panel about women's health in sport. And we basically talk, talked about periods for about Good. half an hour. And all these men were sat there. Having to listen, which I love. Well, you know, and it's funny we say having to listen. Yes. They were attentive. There were maybe one or two that looked a bit edgy and yeah, probably yeah. wanted to leave but didn't dare. Yeah. But the, most of them looked fascinated. Good. And I think it, it makes me think, we often think that men don't care, they're not interested because it's women's problems. But, that is but actually, sometimes I think we need to give them permission to Agreed. be involved. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they want to be involved. They should yeah. be involved because women's health affects every single person yeah. because we all have women in It our will life. affect their friends, their partners, their mothers, their children. Their daughters. Yeah. yeah, there was one guy there who was a dad with his daughter and it was just like listening so like attentively. Um, and then he came, you know, they came and I was doing a book signing. He bought the book and we signed the book. And, and I said to him, did you find that interesting? He said, dads need to know this stuff. Yeah, they Because do. I want her to be able to come to me to talk about this, yeah. not just her mum, so. But that's exactly how things have to change. And that's fantastic yeah. that you're doing all of that anyway to bring about awareness because if you want to share, if you don't mind sharing, you know, your childhood struggles of confidence and mm. adolescence, you said it's the book you wish you'd had. Yeah. Why? Where did that stem from? Well, I think if I go back to when I was little, um, I was extremely shy, clingy. I used to just cling on to my mum if we were out in public. Um, I grew up in a, a small town called well, people know of Burnley, but actually Nelson, which is next to Burnley. And um, it's a predominantly white community. Um, there's this, you know, a significant proportion of the population were Asian. But I think we were, we were only two black families in the in the whole town. Only so, two. so I look different, especially wow. with my hair and the challenges. Yeah. And I think it was positive, mostly positive attention. Yeah. But people wanted to look at me and people wanted to touch my hair and so touch your hair. They got you yeah, to touch yeah, your hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hair touching thing is real. <laughs> Can I touch your hair? Um, 
so so I think I was always very 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 shy didn't have much confidence um again it was physical activity that really helped me with that but also very aware that I was I was different yeah. and I think as a teenager now I was looking I was popular at school I had lots of friends I had a good social life outside of school but when it got when you got to that age of whether or not you're physically attractive to the other sex yeah. I always felt that I wasn't because I was different or even if I was then yeah. me being different people didn't want to be associated with me in that way and I mean it's a nerve-wracking time anyway for everyone isn't it let alone you're one of two black families in a village that's completely white yeah and you must have just felt completely just it must just be so I can't I can't because I haven't lived that experience yeah it's so important yeah you yeah that. so I think just being just yeah so I was I was different and that affected my confidence but I couldn't really change any of that but what I could change was the way I viewed myself and spoke yeah. to myself so I think a lot of people have asked since I wrote the book if you could go back and say mm. one thing to yourself what would it be and it would be just to treat yourself with as much love and respect mm. as you do other people because I think especially girls and women we still do it as you know as grown-up women who know we shouldn't we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, look at that line on my face. Look at that spot. Oh, look at that. Oh, I'm minging today. Oh, I look gross today. I was thinking it on the way here. I'm a bit tired. Didn't sleep well. I'm like, oh God, you look minging. I'm like, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like say this. if you looked yeah. a bit tired. I wouldn't say that. No, no, to you. nor would I. No. I wouldn't think it. I wouldn't no. say it. No. Yeah, we, I actually thought, we do wow, that she's so ourselves. on trend wearing a denim skirt in the studio because <laughs> I saw it on this morning the other week, and I was like, they were talking. Lisa was talking about denim skirts. Like, check her out. <laughs> um, and I think we have to be so careful in front yeah. of our children as well because mm-hmm. I remember somebody once saying this: our children look like us because they share fifty percent of our genetics right and if we're in front of the mirror going oh god gotta look awful gotta look this you're telling them that that's how they look and they're going to grow up yeah. believing that as well so you know if we can't do it for ourselves we do have to them. do it for them i mean we've got the talk tools to ourselves now. positively all of this information you know don't talk about your weight your shape your size all these things yeah. in front of children is, is really just so important but yeah. but i think with the book yeah if you can teach that the book's um written for girls age nine plus if you can support girls to develop these habits early on before they enter puberty mm. or as they're entering puberty and give them the tools so there's loads of little you know it's ch- their children so there's little yeah. activities that they can do little exercises i've seen i have a guide to yeah. how to do affirmations yeah um and if yeah, if they can develop that as a skill, because they're starting their periods earlier and earlier, aren't they? They are, yeah. They Isn't are. the average nine now? I saw the. I could have got that completely wrong. Um, it used to be a lot later when I was younger. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Is the average nine? I'm I not sure. It's something quite that on young. TV. I probably got that stat. Don't quote me on that. It stat, used guys. well. It used to be twelve, 12 didn't or something. it? I'm pretty sure it's gone down. Right. I need yeah. to check that out. And that's you know partly due to children are are bigger. Yeah. Um, which can affect hormones. And I think yeah. partly due to our diets as well, the highly processed say, food that's lifestyle a and diet. children's and diet, sadly. That helps with endometriosis, right, as well. To a degree, obviously, it's not a cure in, by any means. And we get a lot of questions in the nutrition clinic all the yeah. time, how do I eat for X? It doesn't work yeah. like that. But obviously, overall lifestyle can help alleviate some pressure. Definitely. And I think, you know, that's in lifestyle medicine, um, that's what we talk about you know you're altering your lifestyle alongside whether it's medical treatment surgical treatment 
it can always make a difference. I mean, something, for example, if you just take, if you do require surgery because you have endometriosis, if you are physically fit because you've been exercising, you'll recover from your surgery better. True. Your scars will heal better. You know, it all makes a difference. Same with nutrition, you know, yeah. having good sources of protein in yeah. your diet will help with recovery. So yeah. so lifestyles, all, there's always a, pl- a, a role to play for for lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, I think in any health condition. 100%. And I'm also imagining, so one thing that we're doing recently is when you go into schools and give talks, you know, about basic nutrition, which I'm really enjoying. But one aspect of that is that and I know you mentioned in the book, you go through the changes. So girls getting crushes, you know, yeah. parents breaking up with a friend or a boyfriend, getting boobs for the first time, body odour. You touch on all of that. But let's talk about the fact that we need to also speak about lifestyle to youngsters mm-hmm. because that's a tool for their toolbox, right? A hundred percent. There's a couple of things in there that <laughs> in the book that might seem a bit wacky, but I talk about osteoporosis. Yeah, well, so you should, because... Because it's so relevant yeah. for girls of this age to know about osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is so incredibly common in women um, post-menopause. One in two over 50. I know that because we one had One in two over 50, there yeah. we go. Um, but crazy. in order, one of the most important things you can do to prevent your risk of osteoporosis, it starts when you're pre-puberty because laying down that bone mass, bone mm-hmm. density whilst you're still growing... Once you finish growing, you only have a certain amount of capacity as to how much you can strengthen your bones. Yeah. It all happens whilst you're a child, whilst you're growing up. So, you know, having good sources of, of calcium mm-hmm. and vitamin D. And, you know, we see this trend towards plant milks, which is fine. But if actually, for, for, for chil- if they're yeah. fortified, but for children, some some children may think it's healthier yeah. To have a plant These milk. These health halo actually, foods. Yeah. So, so, you know, understanding that having good sources of calcium and putting pressure through your bones every day, even if that is jumping up and down on the spot 20 times a day, yeah. putting that shock through your bones is what tells your bones to lay down yeah. more minerals and get stronger. And, you know, it's important. Imagine if everyone knew that at I the know. age of 10. And if well, half of girls, therefore... diets and as a teenager, which yeah. is what we see in the clinic, that we see the era of women that come to us with osteopenia or they're on the verge or they're worried because of menopausal changes or whatever but the damage has been done well there was once a spokesperson for i think it was for the osteoporosis society and he said it's quite extreme but you know it kind of it's what it's what gets the message out there but he said that we're potentially going to have a generation of children whose parents will care for them because their bones will be so brittle (gasps) so parents will be pushing around their children in wheelchairs because and I think that's extreme and let's not be it's alarmist and it's extreme and it's probably not it true is, but, but it might be a wake-up call for someone listening or for me yeah. certainly it makes me you know we make the links back to childhood obesity we make the links back to the health of a nation on a whole and yeah. how we should be looking out for one another and spreading these messages yeah. right because yeah. that's that's essentially what we need to do Hi everyone, just a quick chat about my vitamin D supplement spray at Retrition Plus. So it's your daily dose of vitamin D. Please make sure that you're getting the amount that you need this time of year from September all the way through to around April. And for some people all year round, we need to be taking our vitamin D and it's an easy to use formula spray. I designed it to make sure that it's a vegan vitamin D3. It's made from British algae. That's so important to me. It's sustainable to support normal bones, muscles and teeth. Now, ask 
spray has been expertly formatted to combat the winter blues, of course, which we all get around that time of year and promote overall wellness. So with our handy spray, you'll get your daily dose for that extra ray of sunshine. If you guys want to find out more about Retrition Plus, head over to retritionplus.com and you can browse all of the products that we've created and find one that's right for you. My commitment and the team's commitment to health goes way beyond just providing quality supplements. I believe in transparency, sustainability and a responsible approach to well-being. So Retrition Plus is essentially like your partner, I suppose, in achieving a healthier and more balanced you. We are rooted in science. We are focused on you. Be sure if you want to sign up, of course, to our newsletter via the website and make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Retrition Plus so you are up to date with the latest products and science-based information. Equally spreading the message about fertility. So we did touch on it yeah. before you even had Lisbon, which I <laughs> love that you're now here and we're talking about it again. Um, you knew you wanted to be a mother for so long. You froze yeah. your eggs as well when you were 38. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the journey around that time. And so what happened... Not too much detail, but give me a bit of detail. <laughs> well, I was asked to do um, to present a short film for the one show. Nice. Uh, about egg freezing. And I'd yeah. never worked for them before. They rang me up and said, would you do it? And I said, oh, how did you know I was thinking about freezing my eggs? They said, we didn't, but would you be willing to share? So then they were very excited. Mm -hmm. So I spent the whole day learning about egg freezing, learning different opinions. Um, Some people were for, some were against, met someone who'd done it, went to a clinic, saw how it's done. And at the end of that day, it was like, for me, I definitely need to do this. I'm 38, I'm single. Um, I know I want to be a mum. For me, I can't imagine the second half of my life not being a mother. Mm. So whilst I completely respect people who oh, yeah, feel differently, mm. for me, it was something um, I I really wanted. Mm. So it was a no-brainer um, and I'd been able to weigh it all up. But I thought, gosh, imagine if I'm a doctor and I've got loads of mates and we talk about everything yeah, and I feel like I'm sort of... Um, in the know. You know. I'm in the know, I work in the media, mm-hmm. yet it took for me to spend a whole day making this film to know that that was the right thing for me to do. What chance does everybody else have out there? So that's why, you know, coming on and talking to you about fertility. Yeah. And I think we just, people just need to be more aware. Egg freezing isn't for everybody. It's, you know, for me, I've got seven eggs on ice, which if I come to use them, there's more chances I won't get a baby than I will get a baby. It's, yeah. you know, it's not perfect. But for me, it was, I would, you know, I went on to meet Stuart and we had Lisbon and we conceived naturally mm. and all that's great. But for me, it was, I didn't ever want to be in a position where I'd look back and think there was something I could have done. Yeah, and I because didn't you've do ruled it. out the, the element of the what if yeah. I had. Yeah, side. So, so I decided to do it and um, it's quite, it's, there's quite a lot. So anyone who's done IVF or egg freezing will know all the, like all really the injections that you give twice a day I was dating somebody at the time as well so it's kind of would be at dinner I've just got to go and do my injection Um, and then you know you can't exercise towards the end too much only gentle exercise because your ovary is very large you've got to keep going in for scans um and i didn't know that because your ovaries get larger and of yes course, yeah, you can't you, yes you get all the eggs so, yeah. so it felt like towards the end it felt like having two cricket balls in my pelvis it was sort of even moving around was a little bit was uncomfortable like a kind of, um subtle cramping or just not not really i didn't People can maybe other people might experience that, but I could just feel like my ovaries. It felt like I just had two rocks in my pelvis, so moving around was a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, 
And and what I'd done, I'd been quite clever about it because well, I thought I'd been clever because <laughs> <laughs> I knew my hormones were going to be all over the place. Yes. And, you know, going to the fertility clinic and seeing lots of couples and me being on my own, I thought well, that might make me quite sad. But it didn't really because I thought, well, you know, as far as I'm aware, I can get pregnant and, you know, these couples actually are struggling so sure, you know that's I tried another to... element I hadn't considered of course even going to the clinic yeah. in itself is a humongous yeah. daunting experience yeah so I thought I might just feel sad that I'm doing this on my yeah. own but I think because I'd sort of prepared and planned and I had um sort of dates booked in with friends every other day it was fine but the bit I hadn't prepared for was afterwards so when they do the egg retrieval I hadn't prepared for that bit because you still can't really exercise that well your hormones are then plummeting really quickly um, and it takes a while for your body to get back to normal. So that was when I had a bit of a wobble, I think, emotionally. Um, but yeah, I quite, I found the, I think being a scientist as well, being a doctor. Of course, and you could look at it. Not being a fertility expert. Yeah. I found it all really interesting. Yeah, I found the process quite interesting. Yeah. So, so it was a good experience. I'm yeah. really glad I d- yeah. did it. Um, and yeah, and I think off the back of it, I've had lots of conversations with, friends but also through my network just yeah. saying to women look if you're somebody who thinks you really really do want to be just a mother give it a and go. you're single at least just go and do the initial test yeah. see where you're at see where, you, where your fertility is is at yeah. because um i've heard from fertility nurses where they've had girls in their 20s or very early yeah. 30s and actually you know just their amh level which indicates your fertility reserve has been very very low because so, it can know. run in families, can't it, sometimes, it can. Um, fertility. I've actually, one of my best friends has um, a donor baby and she right. did it via a donor and, um, yeah. and and that's incredible. And she just knew, like you, she'd done a lot of research, yeah. she's not a scientist, but I think if, yeah, we're discussing options for everybody, it's just really important to be clued up. Yeah, and it, it, it is expensive. It's an investment. Yeah. Um. So it's not, you know, it's not achievable for everybody, but... I think knowledge is always power. Yeah. So if you go and get those tests on your fertility test on and you're 30 and they say, look, you know, you typical for a 30 year old, you think, fine, I'll just crack on for another five years and see what happens. But if your AMH is low and they end up saying, you know, your fertility may yeah. not last as long as it does on average, then it might change. I've had that happen to a think. friend as well. In a year, there was quite a difference that she wasn't expecting in a year. Yeah. So it's just important to stay on top of it. And I guess it moves me forward to thinking about the other pressure for women, of course, that have had babies that we touched on at the start. Mm. And that is the bounce back ideal. And it's very, very... Oh, the, the language we use around it <laughs> is important to execute in the right way. So I'm going to start off by that way and let anyone that follows me on social media will know I'm in a slim body. Yeah. It does not mean I bounced back. Mm-hmm. People don't know my physical recovery, no. the, the side effects from birth, the mental health. I mean, yeah. I'm very open about the fact I have PTSD and PND second time round. But I don't think people realise that you cannot judge a book by its cover. No. And this expectation on women. It's ridiculous. Well, here's some language for you. Bounce back is bullshit. It's yes. absolute bullshit. Oh my goodness, yes, <laughs> Because Zoe. your body, exactly. the truth is, your body doesn't no. bounce back. And yes, you will see some people. I had my um, baby at a similar time to, I can't even say her name now, the 
the model? Is it Ratatowski? Emma, oh, Emily um, Ratatowski. Emily Ratatowski. I know you mean, yes, yes. Um, you know, she had her baby and but she's a, model. a few she's weeks later. Looks she looks like you know, that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. on the inside, her body had not bounced back. No. You know, her hormones would have still not been yeah. normal. So the relaxing hormone that people yeah. often I mean, are aware of. Your you know, vagina that can months. change, things change, pelvic your, floor. Your soft tissues inside yeah. your body have been yeah. stretched. It takes at least a year I'd say. for them to actually come back. So you have to be careful if you're a runner or if you're lifting heavy weights. I and can't then... do the trampoline. Well, I can now, just the trampoline part with the kids. Okay. But it took a long time and a lot of pelvic floor work. Yes, a yeah. Lot. And your brain, your brain, yeah. your, your brain actually structurally changes permanently when you have a baby. There's a really nice saying um, from, this came from a doula who, I think she's one of the people who set up um, a company called the postnatal plan. Okay. Um, and she says that when a baby is born, a mother is born too. I love that. A new human being. Yeah. You're a new, you're a different person. Yeah. Inside and out. Your body will never be the same no. completely. My pelvis is in a different, is a different shape to what it yeah. was after the first one. I know you've spoken about your back pain. Back and, yeah. Um, but even somebody like, I still can't say her name. Help me. Uh, Emily Ratatowski. <laughs> I hope I've got it right. What if I've got it wrong? <laughs> Is it, do they call it MRAT for short? Yeah, her Instagram name, um, I know because she worked with a brand I've worked with recently. She, Yeah, I think it's MRAT or something like that. So even somebody who appears to look the same way. They're not really. They're not. They're not the same way. It's impossible. And if you're breastfeeding, then, you know, even after you can finish bre- breastfeeding, your hormones are still not back. So I stopped two months ago and I still have milk. Oh, do you? (laughs) Like, how long does it take to go? Can I ask you as a doctor, how long does it take? Well, much more. Is it just a little bit of milk? Yeah, I can just hand express a little bit of milk. Yeah, I don't know. The answer is, I guess it's different for everybody. But there you go. Two months later and your body's still able. So you've still got that prolactin. I'm nearly 17 months postpartum, my second now. Which goes to show I've still got those hormones surging. But, you know, you hear about all sorts of things, how, you know, the psychology yeah. is a big part. Did you want? Did you really want to give up breastfeeding, or was it a bit? Were you a bit reluctant? It was almost so. This time round, I'm really glad you've actually raised it because it might be helpful to people. Um, in COVID with Zaki, my first, yeah, it was lockdown, and yeah, you know, I had the opportunity. A lot of struggles. Don't get me wrong. Mm. The tongue ties, the milk blurbs, all of it. But I managed to do 22 months. And I told myself, I put this pressure on myself, if I don't do the same for my second, mm. I'm not a good mum because no. I couldn't give him the same. But I could, out of lockdown, which you I know, could not you do know, it. You, which you absolutely know is nonsense. It's but nonsense. It's so we... I, I can't be fed with my second. And it. I think it meant our journey did end maybe a bit sooner than it would have done if I hadn't can't be fed. But if I hadn't have used formula and breast, I would not mentally be a same person right yeah. now or have been able to work or do anything I needed to yeah. be a good mother. Yeah. And so I do feel a and bit that's sad what about that's what it. your child needs more than anything. Yeah. I always say, you know, when people ask me what are my views on the breastfeeding bottle feed, I just say, look, we're we're so lucky that oh, we gosh, have yeah. an incredible um replacement yeah. for breast milk. Yeah. But there's no replacement for a mother's mental health. No. And I have to say when you are in the the depths of, you know, I had postpartum psychosis with my first. Wow. I had the PTSD. Yeah. If you are not quite there. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, I was very lucky to have help and access. So many women don't. Yeah. But that is way more important, being yeah. able to be a stable support for your child. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So if you want to breastfeed and you can. Yeah. 
fantastic. You know, I'd really encourage yeah. people to do also, it. But if you don't tool, want to, we should say because no. so many people think breastfeeding is the answer to weight loss. It's not. I know they say it burns five. Well. 300 to 500 calories. But, but, your, bo- but your body's very, very clever at making yeah. you eat an extra 300 yes. to 400 calories yeah. because, you, you you're know, hungry. <laughs> you're hungry if you're breastfeeding. Yeah, night. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's no, yeah. there should be no judgment. You know, as long as the baby's fed, then yeah. your men- your mental health as a mother is way, whatever makes you happier, Absolutely. go for it. I'm so, I'm so, thank you for asking that back at me because I feel like oh. it's a question I don't talk about yeah. enough, but equally it probably will help some listeners hopefully. And, We've touched on bounce back. Let's get there to menopause. Average mm. age is 51, but you've said, I know like Lisa Lisa Snowden talks about hers coming earlier. For some people, it can definitely hit you and hit people with a shock, I think. People just aren't ready, are they, or aware. So I guess, you know, just how how does it change? I mean, for women of colour, yeah. would average apparently go through menopause at least two years earlier? Yeah, How is that? I didn't even know that before I know. I didn't know. I didn't know either. You know, hands yeah. up. Um, yeah. As a doctor, I don't think most people do know. So yes, so the average age um, of menopause in both the UK and the US is 51. But there's been this massive study done in America called the Swan Study, where they followed hundreds of thousands of women. And what they found is that for black women on average, the start of that menopause is two years wow. earlier. Not only that, but perimenopause is longer and black women have more severe symptoms. So black women have menopause earlier, longer, and with more severe symptoms. Well, that's not fair, is it? Yet, they're only half as likely to be given HRT. How? So, How is this even this a is thing? really interesting. And then they didn't look Ooh. at South Asian women in their study, okay. but other studies, similar studies, say that for South Asian women, on average five to seven years earlier, um, and the types of symptoms are different as well. So in this one study, they found that um, Hispanic women were more likely to have vaginal symptoms, black women more likely to have um, vasomotor symptoms, so the hot sweats and night flushes. Um, I'm going to be looking up the Swan study. Hot flushes and night sweats. How even. on earth does it take the Swan study to be done? I just, what drives me insane is that they've been using this yeah. white kind of data that's so yeah. inaccurate and outdated, yeah. letting so many women down. Yeah. So, yeah, and then the fact that black women actually, whilst probably need HRT more, are less likely to to access it. So when they've so they've looked into all of this, they've said the access issue, um, partly it may be that women of colour are less likely to attend and seek support from a healthcare professional because there may be trust issues. Um, they but they also when they've looked at other studies, they found that even with the same woman with the same presentation, skin colour affects the way a clinician will prescribe. Doesn't and it make less you want to knock on the door at 10 Downing Street and just go like, hello? Yeah, I know. Hi. I know. We're all out here. Women of all colours, just yeah. wanting equality for women. Yeah. Yes. Yes, please. Yes, be, we're right nice. here. It would, that'd wouldn't it? Nice. I tell myself that all the time. I just don't... I'm hearing those stats. Yeah. Um, so so I was shocked. You know, it made me think... I've always thought about, you know, the, the best guess you can make for when you'll hit menopause is based on the age your mum was, right? So if I take the age my mum was, my mum was a white woman, my dad's black Jamaican, so I'm probably about a year out as a mixed-race oh, woman. I, I probably need to take it... a year off because if it's two years, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's so interesting. And I think um, 
it's really it's really important that healthcare professionals know But they don't have the data on this. mixed race either, do they? They don't have the data on mixed race women either. So. Which is a one that needs to happen. There's because so much more data we need to study women. You know, we're yeah. getting to a point now where I think governments recognise, um, establishments that, that do research recognise that it's not appropriate to think of women as small men and it's not Finally. appropriate to extrapolate um, BMI is based was based on men. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's it's not appropriate to extrapolate data that's done in a white population mm. to a black population, for mm. example. So we need to start doing all these studies. We need to do studies in women, just in women. We need to do studies where we look at the differences between different races, and it means that hopefully at some point in the future, you may not be prescribed the same drug as me because it will work differently. Um, and we may not be prescribed the same treatment yeah. altogether as, as men. So women are not small men. We, we are, are not women. small men. <laughs> and I feel like we've come to this point in um, in time. I don't know if it's just because we are in this position that we're in now discussing these topics or that genuinely the world is at a shift. I feel like the world is on a hinge with a lot of aspects yeah. from global warming to yeah. the realisation that we, we are not equal, not fair. Yeah. We're looking at food poverty. We're looking at... We're looking at obesity, we're looking at undernourishment, malnourishment. Mm-hmm. We're at a cusp where a lot of decisions that are being made is going to have a humongous knock-on effect. Yeah. And we've designed all of this into our lives. That's yeah. the thing. You know, 100 years ago or 50 yeah. years ago, a few decades ago, we didn't have a lot of these health issues. And it's because we've designed physical activity out mm-hmm. of our lives. We've designed, you know, food that is... Not. hyper delicious and mm-hmm. hyper calorific yeah, but really has no powerful. nutrition yeah we've designed all this stuff that's making us ill yeah. and how are we going to redesign it? how are we going to undesign it how are we going to go back it's so hard. this question blows my mind with every podcast episode i feel mm. i do on food for thought because you know when i speak to someone about these individual issues it becomes almost so overwhelming you don't know how to process the information that you're yeah. absorbing yet you want to do something so badly about it. Yeah. And it does feel like you're knocking on a brick wall sometimes. And even that, you know, the processing of information, you know, we yeah. designed computers that were meant to make our lives easier. And, and now, now we're like hooked on You know, midnight, and... I'm still on my phone at midnight. I use that time. Everyone talk actually, ironically, our episode last week was on sleep. And oh, I, know, I know perfectly well that I shouldn't be on there. But yeah. as a mum, I've put my kids to bed. The only time I get to catch up is when they're in bed. Um, but... I could talk about that forever, but we are also going to be speaking to Vicky Patterson on her, because she talks all about PMDD. Yes. Can you touch on <clears throat> premenstrual dysphoria? You say it for me, please. Premenstrual dysphoric <laughs> disorder. I Thank can say you. that one. You got it. You I got can't it. say names, it's but dysphoric- I can say names of conditions. Dys- yes. <laughs> dysphoric disorder. <laughs> so PMDD um, is, well, what is it? So so one in three women experience PMS, premenstrual syndrome, which usually comes before the period. Um and at the very extreme end of severity, one in 20 women have PMDD. So it, it is PMS, but it's a very extreme form of that essentially means that women in the week or two weeks before their period, they cannot function. They cannot live their life the way they want to. It's a combination of physical symptoms and mental symptoms. So, you know, there's over 50 potential symptoms, um, but the common ones are mood disturbance, you know, anxiety, irritable, um, breast tenderness, lack of energy, fatigue. 
Um, I think one way, there's two ways I've heard it described that I think we're living home. One is it's like every month a monster comes and takes over my body Mm. for a week. Um, And the other one is it's like I spend I spend one to two weeks of the month trying to ruin my life, and then the other one, the other two to three weeks trying to put it back together again. Um, and Vicky Patterson's been talking about yeah. it on her social media and raising awareness. And mm. I think I spoke about it on this morning and I got so many comments saying, that's me. I've never heard yeah. of it before. Well, I remember that is me. People you people will probably remember at school, You there was always someone that couldn't come in yeah. that week or some, you know, and it might have been PMDD. It could have been, yeah, yeah. And I think know. sometimes people, sometimes it, maybe it was symptoms related to the period. It could have been endometriosis. Yeah. Or that comes, and I think the hallmark is... People can feel absolutely terrible, horrendous, cannot function, and then their period comes, and within 48 hours, they feel absolutely oh fine again. Oh my gosh, again. the relief, I have to say, afterwards, you feel like a happier, newer person, a new individual afterwards. Yeah. I now get, um, this is not a severe thing, but ovulation pain since oh, having yes. children. Never yeah. had it before. Mittelschwert's pain. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, there you go, I can't Mittel say that Schwartz. either. <laughs> I, think, I think it's Mittelschwert's. Um, is that so, German? Yeah. Yeah, sounds it, doesn't it? Yeah. Schwert. So yes, actual, you can feel when, can, when ovulation like is happening. And I think, oh, is it period? No, look at my diary. No, it must be ovulation. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, people with endometriosis can sometimes get that very, very uh-huh. severely. Yeah. Because um, you can imagine what's actually happening is that egg, that follicle yeah. is erupting out of the ovary, right? Mm. So that's what's taking place. So you can have a response to that. But imagine if you've got scarring in that area blood in that area you know it can be really extreme pain oh i can't um we've got so many questions zoe on that type of uh front i feel like i want to get them all in from our listeners (laughs) i'm going to see which one so we've mentioned i'd probably say this one Uh aha um this is actually quite important touching on the subject that we had uh, when you said people don't go to their doctor as well not just because of their ethnicity or background but in general when people can't go to a family doctor she said, how can I get the pill? Holly has asked that question. Okay, so if they can't get an appointment with their GP yeah, or they don't have a GP. I don't know, just, yeah. Um, well, there are, there are a number of ways. You could go to a um, sexual health clinic or a contraception clinic. So you could, if you just go onto the NHS website and search contraception clinic, um, then you can put in your postcode and it'll tell you how to get in touch with them, whether you email them or give them a ring. So that's how to do it on the NHS. Um, if you are somebody who wants to pay you'd rather pay and you know have the convenience of of doing it privately then most of the main pharmacies now so i know lloyd's pharmacy definitely do it i think most of the main pharmacies you can go online and do a consultation with a pharmacist or a doctor online yeah and some pharmacists can prescribe as well depending on which type of pill so if you want the progesterone only pill then sometimes you can now get that over the counter Um, but you know the benefit of doing it on the NHS is that all contraception is free yeah and you can have that chat about what one might suit you better exactly yeah Yeah. and where the hell are we at with the man pill can I just get that question in there because (laughs) I remember being so excited about that like years ago and then I didn't hear anything so I made made a a documentary a horizon documentary all about contraception a few years ago and it was really interesting because I got to hear about the background of the, the male pill so they have managed to find a male pill on a few occasions that is effective nice but because of the side effects which included things like weight gain <laughs> mood oh, disturbance like, <laughs> sorry i guess it's so un pc of me for the podcast but come on it never came to market so i believe that there is another there is another one in the pipeline at the moment 
But here's the thing. Mm. Um, when we made that documentary, we also did um, a survey where we asked women oh, if yeah. there was a male pill that was effective. Would you trust them? To would you trust it? them to take it? And the majority of women said no. They'd rather, you know. True. You do want to be in control. Yeah. But at the same time, anyway. Just put it in their dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mash it up in the potato. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, one. I'm sure one day. Yeah, one day, (laughs) one day. This is quite a sensitive one, um, actually, next. And Sonia said, my daughter always dismisses me. She shuts down the conversation when I try to talk to her about puberty. Is there any advice you can give on how to open that discussion? Yes, right. So discussions with young people about puberty as a parent... You may be really lucky in that your young person will come and talk to you about everything and anything. But, you know, many young people, the last person they want to talk to is their parent because they just find it all so uncomfortable and embarrassing. Um, So you could buy them my book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've got Zoe's book. Then they're fine. I've had lots of feedback from parents, actually, quite funny, telling me how their young people have responded. So there was one woman, she said she bought the book for a 10-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old daughter was like, oh, God, that's so embarrassing, like threw it into the corner of her room. But then she noticed that she was reading it because it was sort of moving around her room and moving, reading it every night. And then following that, she started asking her mum questions. So I think giving them a good resource. So Dr. Ranch did a book for boys that's equivalent to my book as well. Give them a resource, oh, gift I'll it to, to them. I'll have to check that out for mine in the future. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and then just let them know that the door is always open. They can talk to you about anything. And then if you, are, if you do want to talk about something specifically and you are going to bring it up, give them a warning shot. Just say, oh, on Saturday, we're going to go shopping to the supermarket and in the car on the way there, I'd like to talk to you about yeah. This. And how we'll buy you, you know, we're going to buy you some tampons. Like what age, if, if we're talking about this, for parents listening, they're thinking... No, no, I don't think there's too early. I don't think there's an age that is too early. I think if a young person is asking questions and they're old enough to understand the, the truthful, honest answer... Mm. You're never going to harm someone by telling them the truth. So, yeah. you know, if you're a three-year-old coming and saying, how are babies made? You, you, you're you probably not going to want to go into mm. the truth about how babies are made. But if you do, if you just say, well, it's, you're not going to do them any harm because mm. at, at some point they're going to search for the answers. So as soon as they're curious yeah. and they're, you know, they're old enough to understand... Yeah. Just tell them the truth. And then the other tip would be um, to take the intensity out of the conversation, doing it when you're in a car. Yeah. And that if especially if they're in the back of the car, they're yeah. just more, you know, take the eye contact yeah. out of it. True. Or whilst you're out for a walk or kicking a ball about. Great tip. So that it's not so intense. I love that, actually. Yeah, having them in the back of the car or taking away because that's half of the awkward um, vibe, isn't it? When yeah. When you're there together. And if you've let them know beforehand that it's coming exactly. as well, they've been able to have a little bit of a think about yeah. it. Yeah, I know that's a really good tip. And oh, finally, I will pick this one from Ida. She said, my discharges change colour and it smells different. Is this bad? So okay, potentially. We haven't even discussed discharge, but you know, <laughs> you as the doctor obviously discuss everything. Um, I did a little Instagram post on this recently. Oh, good. To go back How with, did that uh, go down? I missed that one. Um, yeah, really good. So it just shows, it's a sanitary pad and it just shows different colours of what's meant to be discharged, yeah, but you yeah. know, it's mustard and yes, smart ketchup, etc. Yeah. But if it's a change from your normal, then potentially it is worth checking it out. So white or clear discharge is deemed to be normal. Yeah. Um, if it's lumpy and it's white, it could be thrush. But, you know, especially if it's if it's pink or red and it's not around the time of your period, if it's between periods or after sex, then that should be checked out. Um, 
it could be an infection. So, you know, and it might not be a sexually transmitted infection. It could be BV. Mm. So, yeah, if it's changed colour or it's yeah. significantly changed colour, it's not normal for you. Yeah. Just see your GP and get some swabs done. And if someone wants to ask for a, a female GP, I remember yeah. Dr. Kay saying this, you can, can't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, if you'd rather see a female GP or if you'd rather see a nurse or a male if you're yeah. a male you know I think it's you okay can, to you ask you absolutely can request that 100% yeah. yeah it's good to have the tools guys because you know if anyone is asking sensitive questions it's all very well being anonymous on a podcast yeah. but I'm sure that and I also think some for some things it's worth asking if there's a specialist so particularly for mm. menopause there may yeah. be a nurse or a doctor that has done additional training who specialises in menopause yeah. so I think we're entering a world where we're going to be expected as patients to share a little bit more with mm-hmm. the person at the end of the phone or over the counter at the mm. GP surgery. And that's not because they're being nosy. You know, they're bound to the same confidentiality rules as the doctors. But it's to get you to the right person if somebody's got a bit more training. But, you know, we're going to see GP teams changing and that mm. there'll be par- there may be paramedics, there may be psychologists, there may be physios. So it may be that actually the GP is not always the right person no. or the best person for you to see. But so. it's so interesting. I'd love it if they actually took registered nutritionists on because that oh, would gosh. be incredible for the NHS, wouldn't that it? That is so needed. And that is so there's needed. Enough of there's us a very needing, limited yeah. access to any nutritional support. It's only if you have a severe condition or something that requires a dietitian to work yeah. with you. It's yeah. um yeah, you're right. We have a whole health history form and then we know which expert in the clinic to send them to. And, sh- and surely it's only a matter of time, yeah. right? Because there are so many conditions now where the advice is nutritional advice. Until and as we GPs, get, we are not, you know, we're well, not qualified. We don't have... The to... title isn't protected still. So until we can get the title protected, right. which is a whole new petition when the new government comes next year... But there is a list, isn't there? There's a list of... There was, uh, but because a new government came in and then COVID came in and then you uh, have to wait for the new... Like, don't get me... So I don't even... All I know is that, obviously, I work very closely with AFN and we can't start anything about right. this until the next government get in oh, because God. of X, Y, Z that I don't fully understand. Well, surely that's happening. Oh, let's Come on, British does. people. Come on, come on. Come on, British people. Be right. sensible. <laughs> exactly. Okay, Zoe, are you ready for our fact or fiction round? Oh, she's ready. Let's she's do it. so ready. Okay. <laughs> All girls will enter puberty at age 12. Fiction. Usually between the ages of 9 and 15. Excellent. New mums should rest for a month after giving birth. At least. <laughs> Probably three months. <laughs> that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, fatigue, brain fog, heart palpitations, itchy skin, low mood, headaches, lightheadedness, or an intolerance to heat are all symptoms caused by declining hormones. Well, they all can be, yeah, fact, potentially, and many, many more. Wow. All new mums easily adjust to motherhood. Fiction. Here's one that didn't. Yep. Puberty happens overnight. Fiction can take up to five years. Five years. Yeah. 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 Usually for girls, it's breast buds first Um. and, and then for five years. But we're born period with all the should, eggs, aren't we? Born with all the eggs. Usually it's breast buds first, then on average periods start about two years after that. Fascinating. Um, cranberry juice cures UTIs, urinary tract infections. Fiction. Thank you. But drinking cranberry juice can prevent the E. coli being able to climb their way up to the bladder. But the studies show you actually have to drink a lot and there's loads of sugar, so not the best Yeah, and remedy. the supplements that you can buy for this are not evidence-based either, sadly, at the moment, because there are a few out there. Um, we should avoid making GP appointments as the NHS is too overwhelmed. Fiction. Fiction. You know, 
my issue with this is that there are some people who it's the kind people who don't want to burden their GP, who sit at home with their symptoms, who then end up becoming severely unwell. And, you know, yeah. please don't sit at home and just get it checked out sooner rather than later. Always. 300%. Women go through dramatic mental and physical changes as their reproductive systems go through major changes. Fact. Both at puberty and menopause. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for women. Fiction. Mm. So it's just been overtaken now by dementia. Oh, no. So they're sort of, depending which resource you use, but the Office for National Statistics says for women that dementia is the leading cause of death. Which we will highlight. We have episodes on, yeah, our brain and our diet is very, very important. Um, Yes, this is another area. Women can take charge of their health by eating a proper diet, seeking proper screenings and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. Thank you. Fantastic fact or fiction round. Let's just go there with dementia very quickly. Sorry, I'm just throwing it on you. But I just feel like there's not enough spoken about how to eat to protect our brain as well. And I know it's not all dietary, but what are signs to look out for if anyone's feeling at any age that they should go to their doctor? I mean, something I learned recently was about, I don't know if this was covered in your sleep episode, but how sleep is so important for preventing dementia because in the um, the latter stages of sleep your brain like your lymphatic system you have a lymphatic system of your brain and it washes and those proteins that cause alzheimer's dementia are washed out of the brain well they're the Um, plaques the amyloid the amyloid washed yeah so the beta 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 amyloid and the tau protein yes they get washed away yeah so so lifestyle so dementia like all chronic diseases there's a genetic component There's a lifestyle component. There's an environmental component that you can't change, but then there's an environmental component that you can. Um, What about hormones? Sorry to interject, because obviously you said for women, does it not impact men in the same way? So there there are a certain number of conditions that are much more common in women than men yeah. I think the thing here is that heart disease is still the biggest killer of men because it's it's much more it's more, one of the risk factors for yeah. a heart attack is is being a man yeah um and I don't know where dementia is in that list I don't know if it's second or not because I didn't research that no far. no don't worry sorry <laughs> I threw her on the spot for this but dementia is more common in women than it is in men and yeah. hormones definitely play a role you know as we start to once we hit menopause and we yeah. lose our estrogen and progesterone then the risk of dementia goes up significantly. Okay. So right. Well, um, that does nearly wrap up today's episode. It's <laughs> a bit grim, isn't it? We're going to end it on a high. I promise. Good. We always finish with the food for thought. I think um, I'll start by just saying thank you. First of all, we've touched on so many topics, and I know it's impossible to go in step like we didn't touch on PCOS or there's so many other areas. But there is help out there. Mm-hmm. It's just going to the right people, and I cannot emphasise enough. If you are looking for help with a medical condition, seek a doctor. Yes. Especially a GP or someone that can point you in the right direction. Just as if you're looking for nutritional advice, go to a registered nutritionist or dietitian. Because, as we know, you mentioned earlier, the youth today or the searching point are social media platforms like TikTok. That is not the way, sadly. But if you can Mm. find the right people on there that can point you in the right direction. Zoe, what would be your take-home message today? I think just off the back of that is that you know, our bodies, they're ours. We own them. They're our responsibility. 
we have to look after them. You know, it's really important. You're the one who decides to attend your cervical screening or your mammogram or, you know, do your stool sample when you reach the age to do bowel cancer checks, you know, things like screenings. But also you have to be willing to advocate for yourself where we have a health system that is overburdened we know that gp gp appointment rates have gone up whilst gps have gone down gps are stressed but if you were worried about something you must persist until you get a ha- an answer that you're happy with you can always ask for a second opinion if you see a doctor and you don't feel that they took you seriously particularly if it's something related to women's health you can ask to see a female doctor or somebody else and keep going keep going until you get the answers that you need amazing advice yeah be very 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 persistent zoe as always such a pleasure where can everyone go to learn more about you your amazing book everything um so at dr zoe williams on instagram try to do a bit of tiktok dabbling but instagram's the main one (laughs) (laughs) dip my feet in And your book, let everyone oh, and know, my book, please yes. do. So the book is called You Grow Girl. Um, and, you know, you can get it on Amazon or all the usual places. And yes, and my um, podcast that I mentioned is called uh, The Doctor Will Hear You Now. Which I love. Thank you for Thank coming you. on Food for Thought. Thank you so much. Right, that's it. If you're enjoying Food for Thought, you will love what we have coming up in future episodes, I have no doubt. So if you're not already, you just have to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. So this means you get a little notification bell. I wish I'd known about it earlier. So you don't miss out on the new episode and it comes out every single Monday. We've been doing Mondays since the start of Food for Thought. We're now on Series 16. There is a lot of misinformation out there and I really hope that we're continuing to bring you the latest research along with our special guests to ensure that you're just getting the best experience possible so if you are enjoying our episodes and you're learning lots then please do leave us a review or get in touch this will help enormously and ultimately help us reach more people and make sure we're doing the right thing by you and giving you the right information so if you want to learn more about the best-selling books the clinic perhaps you need to book in to see one of our fantastic clinicians or to find out more about Retrition plus you can find everything you need to know on retrition.com and and you can follow, of course, me on Retrition on all social media platforms. Yes, I'm even on TikTok now, guys. So you can head over there and check it out. 